Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. I've just got a short thought tonight on something that the Lord has really been dealing with me about. This scripture that we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3 was the favorite scripture of a man named F.F. Bosworth. If you don't know who he is, let me tell you a little bit about him and tell you a way to become more acquainted or, or familiar with him. He authored the book Christ the Healer, and it is without a doubt the best thing out there. It's just fabulous. It's stood the test of time. It's written by a man that was involved in the healings of hundreds of thousands of people. F.F. F. Bosworth was a, a, a minister in his own right, but had retired. But then when the healing revival started in 1947, one of the um, major players in the healing revival was a man by the name of William Branham. And there was a, a mutual acquaintance that Branham and Bosworth had. They didn't know each other, had never met. But there was a gentleman that was working with Branham that was, uh, had been friends with Bosworth for some time. His name was Gordon Lindsay. And Lindsay brought Bosworth to Branham. Dr. Bosworth's ministry was one of a teacher. And William Branham's ministry was one. He was a prophet and he, he operated in uh, gifts of revelation and so forth. Exhorting and preaching but not teaching. And Brother Lindsay had the idea that if Brother Bosworth and Brother Branham would team up together where Bosworth would teach in the morning classes that have um, morning classes during the week. Bosworth would do the teaching then and then Brother Branham would come out uh, and be the, the main speaker, the headline speaker for the evening services which would go wherever the Holy Ghost wanted them to. They thought that that would be a good combination. So Brother Bosworth came out of retirement and started well, I don't know if traveling with is the right way to say it, but he began working with these meetings, Branham in the evening and Bosworth in the morning. And the results that Bosworth got in those morning meetings were just phenomenal. He rarely laid hands on anybody. But as he was teaching, people's sicknesses and diseases would just disappear. They'd come to an end. And it was quite a remarkable thing. It stirred up a lot of excitement and controversy, as you well can imagine, because nobody had really witnessed that to any great degree prior to that point in time. And Brother Bosworth would always, somewhere toward the end of his service, end of the teaching class, would bring people over to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3. As I said, this is what he declared to be his favorite scripture. And he talked about how that of all the truth that the word of God contains regarding healing and the things that he'd teach week after week after week on. He said, none of it does any good until you come to the end point, which is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. 
Now, the previous scriptures, first couple of scriptures in chapter 4 and, uh, and most all of chapter 3 of Hebrews, Paul, I believe Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews. There's pretty good historical evidence to identify that the book of Hebrews, what we know of as the book of Hebrews, was a part of the letter written to the Galatians. That's why there's no authorship claimed in the book of Hebrews, but in the letters that he wrote to the Galatians, he made a couple of statements. One of them was, you see how large a letter I've written. Well, the book of Galatians is just six chapters. There's not really a whole lot, anything about it that we would say was longer than any of the others that he'd written, and it was shorter, much shorter than some of the ones that he wrote. So the implication is that he attached the book of Hebrews to the book of Galatians to address the situation that was going on in Galatia. If you don't remember, Paul said that the Galatians had allowed the Jews, religious Jews coming from uh, Jerusalem, to infiltrate their churches and hoodwink them, require them to go back into the keeping of the law of Moses, which was contradictory to what Paul was preaching. It was contradictory to the truth that they had uh, taken hold of that brought them into salvation. And so Paul recognized, and this certainly wasn't the only place that it happened, that Paul went. There were oftentimes people that would come, religious Jews that would come from Jerusalem and try to proselytize the new Christians. And a part of the requirement, of course, was to keep the law of Moses. So when Paul writes to the Galatians, he addresses what we know of as the standalone book of Hebrews, knowing full well that it would get back to Jerusalem and hopefully bring clarification, bring knowledge to the ones that were still trying to cling and hold on to the law of Moses. But the success of it had varying degrees of positive results, I guess. But Brother Bosworth would always say, if you don't come to the place where your faith rests, you're not really in faith. And he talked about it from the standpoint of coming to the place where you can rest. You remember the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, talking about the faith of Abraham. It said Abraham was fully persuaded that what God could, had promised he could also perform. Well, how do you get fully persuaded? Very few of us are fully persuaded when we start off. How do you get to the place where you're fully persuaded? Well, the way that it works for most of us is that we have to have our questions answered. One of the definitions or one of the meanings that, that somebody has attached to the subject of faith, the definition of faith, and I like this a lot. I use it very often for myself. It means unquestioning trust unquestioning trust folks there has to come a point in time in your faith walk whether you're believing for healing or believing for finances or believing for anything else there has to come a point in time where you get your questions answered and then you stop asking questions Paul talked about that as being the rest of God now let me read you the next verse of scripture because it'll add to our understanding verse 4 it says for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all of his works. Now skip down with me to verse 10. 
or verse 9, I guess we should include that too. It says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. This word rest means to recline or, or lay down, to repose. But it's the word that's used, and Paul uses it right here, to identify the Sabbath. Now, what was the Sabbath day? He identifies and speaks specifically of the, the Sabbath as being the day that God rested from all of his works. So what was the Sabbath? Why is Paul talking to him about the Sabbath? See, the Sabbath day was not something that they were supposed to keep in, uh, in and of itself in the same ritual manner that they had. That was a part of the law of Moses. But it's not like God doesn't want us to have a Sabbath. So what does, what's the significance of the Sabbath or how did the Sabbath work to their benefit and to ours? Well, the seventh day was the day after God finished everything else. The Sabbath day is supposed to be a day where we cease from our own works, not physical works. You remember the Jews had all kinds of rules and regulations for how many steps you could take on the Sabbath day without breaking the law of Moses. They had detailed rules that were, well, it goes beyond stupid. It's, it's just ridiculous. You could gather firewood on the Sabbath as long as you didn't take too many pieces. Crazy things like that. And the, the tedious nature, the detailed and tedious nature of the law of Moses or the interpretation of the law of Moses, that's not the way God gave it to them. But the way the Jews and the priesthood had um, interpreted God's word in that respect put a tremendous burden on everybody. When God's purpose for the Sabbath was simply to have a day where you focused on God instead of yourself. The Jews negated that because you had to consider yourself if you were going to do your best not to break the law of Moses. The Sabbath day was probably the day where the Jews thought more of themselves than any other time because of the imposition and the detailed manner of the law of Moses. But for us, it simply means the place where we come where we think more about God than we do ourselves. The place that we come to, the full persuasion, if you will, of our faith. That we focus on what God has done and thank him for what he's done rather than seek for him to do something else. Folks, unquestioning faith is the place where you even quit trying to work your faith. You just rest in him. Now, is this scriptural? Are there other scriptures that we can look at that would prove this out? Absolutely. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's start in verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to, to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wicked in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, let me make a couple of comments here. I know I didn't finish the verse. I'll come back to it. Let me make a couple of comments here. Paul is saying that the armor of God, which he will describe in the next several verses, 
He's saying the armor of God is sufficient to equip you to overcome any and every attack that the enemy brings against us. He says that the armor of God will quench every fiery dart of the wicked. It'll put the devil on the run and it'll lead us into victory. But I want you to notice what else he says about the armor of God. He says, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. Just as we read, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The armor of God enables you to stand against the work of the enemy, stand against the attack of the enemy, hold your ground, and gain the victory over him. But notice what else it says. The armor of God is to be taken that we may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. I want you to notice that, folks. Having done all to stand, stand. It's telling us that there's a preparation that needs to take place before the standing really begins. We were talking about the subject of faith in this morning's service, and I referred to something that Wigglesworth said, Smith Wigglesworth who was a man that was called the Apostle of Faith. He had documented in his ministry evidence that he had raised from the dead more than 20 people. He was a man that was used greatly and mightily of God. He was a man of great faith himself, and he taught faith and inspired faith to bring about healings and miracles that rivaled Jesus himself. Wigglesworth said, if you wait to get faith till you need it, you're too late. In other words, he says, he's saying to us that faith is something that you have to prepare yourself for. We need to be prepared for the work of the enemy. We need to be prepared for the attack of the enemy before we ever see the attack come. And that's what he's talking about here. He says the preparation is just as important as the the position that we take to overcome the enemy through the battle wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand having done all to stand stand having done all to stand stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take unto you the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The rest that we come to is the place where we know because of the word of God and all of these pieces of armor that he refers to and identifies. Every one of those are made a part of us through the knowledge of God's word. Every, every piece, every part of the armor comes to us. The knowledge of it comes to us from and through the word of God. Bosworth would say, If you haven't come to the place where you can just thank God for what's already been done, he said that you're not yet in the place of being fully persuaded where the things of God can come to pass. I know that 
there have been things that the Holy Ghost has brought me over the last seven or eight years. When I first started being attacked, when the attack first came back in 2011, I did all the normal things that you would do to receive your healing. I claimed the promise of God's word. I reminded God that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and by his stripes we were healed. I cursed the condition that the doctor said it was. I claimed healing for my body. But there were a lot of symptoms that increased for quite a period of time. I was confessing my healing. I was speaking to my body. I was doing what the Bible says about faith in order to activate faith. But the symptoms increased more and more and more. Most of those symptoms have diminished to where there's just a few things that, that seem to be left. But there were a lot of questions that I had, especially in the early days. I know that healing is one of two things. Healing is either instantaneous or it's progressive. God's in both. God, it's not like God has a favorite one way or the other. And, of course, I wanted the same thing that everybody would want. I wanted it to be instant. But it wasn't. And so, as time went on, there were a lot of questions that were raised. Some of them were the devil and some of it was just me. You remember when the angel appeared unto, uh, unto Mary and told her that she was going to conceive a son of God himself? She asked how. It wasn't unbelief. She's not saying, I don't believe this. She's not saying, I won't accept this. She just says, the only way I know to have babies is for a man and woman to get together and I haven't been with anybody. How could this be? God's proposing something that's outside of her realm of experience. And so the angel just simply says, the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you and you shall conceive a son. And his name shall be called Jesus. Questions aren't necessarily all the devil. Now the devil does use questions. And we have to be wise enough in the things of God to be able to tell the difference. But there were a number of things that I had questions about. And I had to get those questions answered. And folks, I've got to tell you, you know how the Bible says, James said in, in uh, James chapter 1, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Nobody wants to do that. I mean, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wakes up with a new pain and says, oh, glory to God. Here we go. Hard times ahead. Thank you, Jesus. Nobody does that. I don't even think it would be right if you did do that. There's a frustration that comes with the understanding that the devil is in this world to, to attack us. And so there were things where I would pray. I started off praying for the Lord to show me how these things were going to go. Show me the end result. Show me how this is going to take place and how this is going to wind up so that then I can get myself ready and prepare for it and so forth. And the Holy Ghost never answered me a lick on any of those things. But I have found the Holy Spirit to be so faithful and so precious in the way that he taught me. One of the things Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples at the Last Supper, after Jesus had left the room to go get the high priests and the Roman soldiers, 
Jesus talked to the disciples about the Holy Spirit, and he said several things to them about the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things he said was he was the spirit of truth, and he would guide us into all truth. I came across, and I don't even remember what it was now, but there was some translation. It was a pretty obscure translation that translated this, he shall, he's the spirit of reality and shall guide you into all reality. Well, something about that just struck a chord with me. And so I started looking for the Holy Ghost. I, I believe it was him that prompted me to do it, to be honest with you. The reason I say that is because I'm not this smart. But I started looking to the Holy Ghost and began talking to him and asking him to guide me into the reality of my healing. To guide me into the reality of my healing. And he did. From that point, there were times. There have been three times specifically. Well, four really. But the fourth one was a little bit different than the others. But there have been three times specifically that he's brought the word of God to me. Not something I didn't know. But brought the truth of the word of God just as I was waking up in the morning. Brother Hagin used to say that that's where the Holy Ghost would speak to him a lot of times. And he described it as the place just between sleep and awake. Where you're not still asleep but you're not quite awake yet. I've had the Holy Ghost speak to me in that time. Four times during this, this thing, the duration of this attack. And he's been so faithful to bring me just the words that I needed at the time. There was something that happened just this, uh, this past week where I remembered something about how things were before I entered into this attack, before the devil started this thing. And I had forgotten I had forgotten, and I remembered it spurred my memory. I, and here again, I believe it's the Holy Ghost. He'll bring all things to our remembrance. Not just what Jesus said to us, but he'll bring things to our remembrance about ourselves too. And the Holy Ghost reminded me. Again, I believe it was him. But I was reminded of how the Holy Ghost, the Word of God, quickened by the Holy Spirit himself led me out of one of the symptoms. And I had forgotten that I had that symptom. I had forgotten that that was part of it. And it's renewed in me. And I, I started praying this several years back. But it's renewed in me a desire to see from God himself. A desire to hear from the Holy Ghost on how I could handle this situation well. How do I handle this well? Now, I'm not talking about staying in faith. There has not been one thought of doubt that I've let come out of my mouth. Over the last eight years, there have been doubts that bombard my mind, and, of course, those come daily. But when you know the, the source, those are nothing. The shield of faith will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So I'm not talking about places where he got me back over in faith. I have not had a moment's doubt. I've had thoughts come to my mind. But doubts that come to your mind or fears that come to your mind, if you don't take hold of them and speak them out, they're not yours. You can abort doubt in your mind by saying what the Word says instead of what the doubt is. So I'm not talking about him bringing me out of doubt and into, into belief again. I'm talking about how do I handle this in such a way 
that it magnifies the name of Jesus to its fullest potential. I still don't know exactly the, the entirety of what that's going to be or how that's going to look. Do I begin to speak in every service about the healing power of God and the things that I've witnessed? Now, Brother Hagin had a similar situation, but that was a part of his ministry. A part of the ministry that God gave him. The anointing, the healing anointing he placed in his hands. That healing anointing wouldn't work unless he would tell the people about how God healed him. About how Jesus appeared to him and laid the finger of his right hand in the palm of each one of his hands. And told him, I'm giving you a healing anointing. If they'll believe you're anointed, then it'll work. If they don't, it won't. So in most cases... Brother Hagin would tell his own testimony, give his own testimony, and then tell about the visitation he had from Jesus. And the healing anointing would work in those that would accept it by faith. Well, I'm a pastor. How's that going to work for me? Folks, I'm perfectly willing to tell the story of what God's done in me and in my body every time we come, if that's what he wants me to do. But how do we grow in other areas if that's the only thing we ever do? So I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work, but I don't have any more questions about it. However it's going to be, it's going to be. God will show us, God will reveal to us, and he'll make sure we get to where we're supposed to be. There were verses of Scripture that the Holy Ghost brought to me, again, these four times. Now, folks, I'm not talking about I've got four Scriptures. I'm talking about there were four times where the Word of God, where the Spirit of God would quicken to me scriptures that I already knew. The first one he gave me was in Psalm 91, verses 14, 15, and 16. And you can follow along if you want to, if you want to see what they say. I'm not sure I'm going to quote them exactly right because I'm so used to having personalized these that it may read differently than it shows in the scripture. But Psalm 91, beginning in verse 14, says, Because I've set my love upon him, he will deliver me. Because I've known his name, he'll set me on high. When I call upon him, he'll answer me. He'll be with me in trouble. He will deliver me. He will honor me. That word deliver means rescue. That word honor means weigh me down with blessings. With long life, he will satisfy me and show him my salvation. I will show him my salvation. Now, the Holy Spirit didn't quote the whole three verses to me. He quoted verse 1. And the way he quoted verse 1 to me was not how the Scripture reads, but it was God personalizing it to me. He said, because you've set your love upon me. And that's all he said. Well, I knew exactly what that was because I was already confessing those scriptures. I've been hanging on to those scriptures even longer than I've been under this attack. But then several years went by. And then the Lord spoke to me again. Again, it was first thing in the morning like that. Just between asleep and awake. And it was Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all thy iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, 
and crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercy. He satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. The part the Holy Spirit quickened to me was the part of the verse that says, who redeems thy life from destruction. Who redeems my life from destruction. Now, folks, i got to tell you, if I meditate on that for any period of time whatsoever, I start coming apart. It brings tears to my eyes because now I know what being redeemed from destruction is. I'm far enough alone. The symptoms have been abated by the power of God's word to such a degree compared to the way they were. To such a degree that I really know what redeemed my life from destruction is. But there's another part to that too. See, he didn't just redeem our lives from destruction when he brings healing for our physical bodies. He did that by defeating spiritual death that had a hold on us, had us bound. You know what I think would be good? If each one of us caught the horrors, caught a glimpse of the horrors of hell. Just for a few moments. I believe it would give us a, a greater appreciation for the fact that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. See, for me, redeemed from destruction has to do with the overcoming of the attack of sickness and disease. But redemption goes a lot further than that. And other things that we're redeemed from, the spiritual death, as I said, that held us, held us in bondage. Being redeemed from that is worth a whole lot more than being healed physically. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I don't want it. I'm not saying I'll pass it up. Bless God, Jesus died for it. He shed his blood for our sins and our sicknesses, so I'll take everything that belongs to me. But he really did redeem us from the ultimate destruction, spiritual death. The third thing that the Holy Spirit quickened to my heart several years later than that was a verse of Scripture that I knew of, but not in the way that he spoke it to me. And this one was really different. This one was a series of dreams, two dreams, one right after the other. And in the first dream, the Holy Spirit said to me, I will lift the burden from your shoulders. And then the dream ended. And in the second dream, right on the heels of it, said, I will take the yoke from your neck. Now, I didn't know what that was. I had to start looking in the concordance in my Bible app, which has a concordance attached to it or part of it. Nothing fancy. It's the same thing everybody else has got, I guess, no matter the brand or the maker or whatever. But I found it to be Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. Now, here's the shocker for me. The last part of Isaiah 10, 27 says this, And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. I wonder how many thousands of times I heard Brother Hagin use that one. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. He would always use that when he would minister healing to people, talking about the visitation that, Jesus, that he had of Jesus. Again, Jesus putting the finger of his right hand in the palms of each one of his hands. He would always talk about that anointing. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. But the Holy Ghost gave me the first part of the verse. The two halves of the first part of the verse. 
Now, I'm sure I've read those. I'm sure I've seen that scripture more than once. But I certainly never tried to commit it to memory, and I, I, I had no reason in my thinking to try to use it regarding my healing. But that's what he said. I'll lift the burden from your shoulders, and I'll take the yoke from your neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now, folks, there are some things in the Bible that we know are, are finished Finished because of what Jesus did. For example, when the Bible tells us that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our, our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed, we know that's a finished work. We know that's done. But what about when the Bible says in James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, and the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up? Is that a promise? Is that something that hasn't yet been done? Is that a work that we enlist God's aid for through the prayer of faith? Or is it a part of the finished work? Is the Lord raising us up just mean God will make good and fulfill, his, fulfill what Jesus has done for us? There are several scriptures that I had come across and taken hold of for myself not because of the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And everything other than that uh, Isaiah 10, 27, I was already using. I had found for myself. See, the word's true whether the Holy Ghost has quickened that specific scripture to your heart or not. Don't get me wrong. The ones that have been quickened to me mean more to me than the others. But the others are true just as well. One of the uh, promises, healing promises, is from Jeremiah chapter 30. Where it says, I will restore your health and heal your wounds. Well, see, that's a promise. That's something that's looking forward. But that promise is no longer for us to look forward because of what Jesus has done. Is that making any sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? One of the questions, and probably the last question I had was, Lord, are you telling me? that you will lift the burden off my shoulders and you will take the yoke off my neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Is that something you're telling me that you will do or is that something you're telling me that you have done? Well, folks, I got to thinking about that for a little bit. And if God said that he will do it, then whether that's something that's yet to be done or something that's already accomplished, it's just as good as having been already accomplished because he said it. That was the last question I had. The other time the Lord quickened something to my heart was just simply when he quoted Mark eleven twenty two, Have faith in God. And that's all I've needed. Were those scriptures necessary? Was it necessary for him to have given me those to enter into my healing? No. Because I don't believe the word anymore according to the scriptures that he's quickened to me than the ones that I already had. And three, uh, two of those three I already had anyway. But I can't thank God enough for the help of the Holy Spirit that I've had throughout this whole thing I found the Holy Ghost to be my friend 
And he wasn't that before this thing started. Now the Bible says in everything give thanks. It doesn't say give thanks for everything. So I'm not required to give thanks for this attack. But I can sure find a lot of reason to give him thanks in the middle of it. I'll have to say this folks. And I haven't always felt this way. But if I had a choice to do it all over again, there have been so much, there have been so many things that the Lord has quickened in my heart, so many things that the Lord has led me in, so many things that I've learned, not, not from sickness, but learned about God. Granted, I could have found them out. I could have pursued God on my own without these things being on me. But the benefit that I've derived by walking in faith and just trusting God in the middle of this stuff when nobody gave me any hope. I've had good doctors. I've had bad doctors. I've got a good one now. I should say I've had bad doctors and I stopped when I finally found a good one. But nowhere in their wildest dreams or their imagination could they offer me any hope of these symptoms deteriorating and diminishing. They're shocked every time I go back and things have changed. It's a running thing with their office. What's it going to be like this time? They see things changing and they never, nobody ever said that they would get better. Every time they identified a new one or I would tell them of that, something that had happened since the last time I'd been in there, their faces would kind of fall. They'd get this sad, sickly smile on their face trying to encourage me and say, well, we can try to get some medication to, to, uh, to mitigate that and to, to help you. But that's going to get worse and worse. And folks, it's not getting worse and worse. We which have believed do enter into rest. There has to come a point in time where we cease from our own works. We quit trying to do it ourselves. We quit trying to make the word work for ourselves. You can get in a ritual of faith and miss out on the real spirit of that is the spirit of faith. You can get so preoccupied and taken up with confession that you're just spouting off words without having a real meaning in your heart when you speak them. We which have believed do enter into rest. We which have believed do enter into rest. We have a faithful father. He can be trusted to keep his word. Faithful is he that called you. He will also bring it to pass. God's word's true. And God is looking for people that will take hold of it and stand in faith, accept what he said, and be satisfied knowing that the promise which was accomplished by Jesus will truly and indeed 
become a reality in our lives. In this case, in our bodies. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. I worship you for your goodness unto me. I thank you, Holy Spirit, helper, for the things that you've given me. You knew just what I needed and when I needed to hear it. I magnify the name of Jesus. I magnify the truth of God's word. I thank you, Lord, that because I've set my love upon you, you will deliver me. Because I've known your name, you will set me on high. When I call upon you, you answer me. You are with me in trouble. You deliver me and you honor me. With long life, you'll satisfy me and show me your salvation. And I bless you, Lord, with all of my soul. And I forget not all your benefits. You forgive all my iniquities. You heal all my diseases. You redeem my life from destruction and crown me with loving kindness and tender mercy. You satisfy my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. I thank you, Father, that you restore us to health and heal our wounds. I thank you, Father, that Jesus has made an utter end of affliction. It shall not rise again the second time. I have faith in you, Father. For whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Jesus told us, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. I say that I have a well body. You, Jesus went on to say, and when you pray, what things soever you desire, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I believe I received my healing, Father. And as I stand praying, I forgive. I have no ill will toward anyone and refuse to allow ill will to enter in no matter what happens or how it came. So I thank you, Father, that you've given me a helper, the Holy Ghost himself, to guide me into the reality of my healing. And I thank you, Father, for showing me how I can best magnify the name of Jesus in the middle of this thing and when it's all said and done. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We have entered into your rest. We rest in you. Believing and expecting you to make good on your word. In Jesus' precious name.